Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Yeah. From the independent. Okay. Mm. So anyway, that's 
go back. Okay. I wonder what is that why the internet's so slow. I wondered if that you know I was going to say the same thing. Do you get another work too? And everywhere. Yesterday somebody complained about it. It was slow and mine was. It explains it explains a lot then because um, that was the same problem that I was having today and they hit the last couple of days. It's been extremely slow. Hmm. And at one time during the day it actually went blew out. You know, connection actually blew. So I was, I was really surprised. I didn't have that, but it's kind of but it, it, it kind of makes sense because mm. I, I was I thought it was, I was blaming it on my server when it might have been a, actually part of this. But here's another article that was really fascinating that came up: massive Antarctic volcanic eruptions linked to abrupt southern hemisphere climate changes. I didn't know they uh, were having climate changes. I guess so. And uh, but it says. A 15-meter pan-sharpened Landsat 8 image <laughs> okay. Whatever that means. of the Mount Taki volcano rising more than 2,000 meters or 1.2 miles above the sur surrounding West Arct Antarctic ice sheet. Man, I'm having a problem. In Marie Bird Land, West Antarctica. Uh, that was a, this is a picture we're looking at. You see that? Detailed chemical measurements in an Antarctic ice core show that massive halogen-rich eruptions from the uh, West Antarctic Mount Taki volcano, Takahi volcano, coincided exactly with the onset of the most rapid, widespread climate change in the southern hemisphere during the end of the last ice age mm -hmm. and the start of an increasing global greenhouse gas concentrations, according to McConnell, who leads DRI's Ultra Trace Chemical Ice Core Analytical Laboratory. <clears throat> Climate changes that began 17,700 years ago include a sudden poleward shift in westerly winds circling Antarctica and uh, corresponding changes in the sea ice extent, um, ocean circulation and ventilation of the deep ocean. Uh, evidence of these changes is found in many parts of the southern, uh, southern Hemisphere and is different uh, paleoclimate archives, but what promoted these changes has, re has remained largely unexplained. We know that the rapid climate change at this time was primed by, charge by changes in solar isolation, insulation rather, and the Northern Hemisphere ice sheets, explained McConnell. Glacial and interglacial uh, cycles are driven by the sun and earth orbital perimeters that impact solar insulation, intensity of the sun's rays, as well as by changes in the continental ice sheets and greenhouse uh, gas concentrations. Well, they didn't have that uh, 200 years ago, so what caused it all then? 17,000 years 17, ago. 17,000 years ago. They so had it then, yeah. So why are they complaining about all the stuff that we do? When we, you know, come on. Yeah, right. So well, that doesn't a, make sense, does it? No. But it says, we know that the rapid climate change that is timed was primed by charges. Uh, kind of having difficulty. There's no point in reading all that technical no, stuff. But it, no, 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 no. Did I read that? Yeah. We know that the rapid change at this time was primed by changes in solar insulation in the northern hemisphere ice sheets, uh, explained McConnell. Glacial and interglacial cycles are driven by the sun and earth orbital perimeters that impact solar insulation. Yeah, I read that. 
greenhouse concentrations. We postulate that these halogen-rich eruptions created a stratospheric ozone hole over Antarctica that analogous analogous to the modern ozone hole led to large-scale changes in atmospheric circulation and hydroclimate uh, throughout the southern hemisphere. Although the climate system already is primed for the switch, we argue that these changes initiated the shift from a large glacial to a largely interglacial climate state, and the probability that this was just a coincidence is negligible. Uh, Furthermore, the fallout from these eruptions contained elevated levels of hydrofluoric acid uh, and toxic heavy chemical metals extended at least 2,800 kilometers from uh, kilometers, rather, from Mount Tahaki, and likely reached south, uh, southern South Africa. Uh, no, South southern America. South America. Yeah. Uh, and so, what else did uh, they say? I verified. And it goes on. It's a great article. I, you know, I recommend you read it. And I'll tell you which one it is and where it's from in just one second here. M.phys.org. M.physics. M. P.H.Y.S. dot O.R.G. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, that's the. Just go to m.phys.org. You'll get it. m.phys.org, right? And you can find it. Hmm. Yep. So, what are those changes going to do? We don't even know. No, they are doing already. They're they're causing uh, they're causing uh, climate changes down in in South Africa, South America, uh, below the equator now. Hmm. And that's coming up here, and the hurricane's going to start in the bowl of the equator, and it's in the Caribbean now, coming up north. So. So North Korea is moving a ballistic missile yeah. towards west, the west coast after U.S. Kim Jong-un is begging for war. This is the sun.co.uk by the Sun World News. Um, interesting. Mark West sent this over. Kind of a war, war hawk, <laughs> but let's see. He says, North "Locked Korea. and loaded. North Korea is secretly moving ballistic missiles toward the west coast and threatens America with a final miserable end after U.S. warns Kim Jong Un is begging for war." The report came as U.S. ambassador to the UN urged 15 member group to impose the possible, strongest possible sanctions. North Korea has reportedly moved in okay. South Korea's Asian Business Daily cited an intelligence source saying the rocket was spotted moving on Monday, just the day after North Korea's sixth and largest nuclear test. The U.S. warned that Kim Jong-un is begging for war after his latest nuclear test, and nuclear state media, uh, North Korea state media celebrates his missile capabilities as tensions rise. Hmm. North Korea armed the region with its most powerful test to date on Sunday. And North Korea propaganda video celebrates its missile capability as tensions and rise, region rise. North Korea, which has launched, which has launched facilities for its missile program on its west coast, uh, reportedly launched a rocket during the night to avoid the surveillance. You know what's interesting, though? What's up? Yeah, West Coast, I think they're 
their east coast. Their west coast, I believe, is actually on on Russia Russian side. Oh. Okay. Their east coast is on on the the uh, China on China's side. Hmm. Okay. And. Uh, or maybe it's the north. It's it's north south. Well, North Korea. West and east. Well, yeah. No. East. Has, the east border is on South Korea. Well, it says here. Uh, enough is enough. Uh, or is never calling on the UN to impose the strongest possible measures against Pyongyang, U.S. Ambassador uh, Nikki Haley uh, said, the time has come to exhaust all diplomatic means before it's too late. Enough is enough. War is never something the United States wants. We don't want it now, but our country's patience is not unlimited. In a dramatic session of the Security Council, Nikki Haley said, we must now adopt the strongest possible measures. And Ms. Haley also warned China it could also face biting sanctions if it doesn't step up its punishment, warning that the U.S. will look at every country that does business with North Korea. What are you doing? As giving aid to their reckless and dangerous uh, nuclear intentions. He added the stakes could not be higher. South Korean Navy vessels taking part in a naval drill off the east coast of South Korea. Right here, this is what's going on. Point A warns that the U.S. will face its greatest disaster if it continues to provoke North Korea after it claimed to have carried out a successful hydrogen bomb on Sunday. The article in the North Korean state newspaper, Rodong Simun, said if the U.S. persists, in its hostile policy toward the um, TPRK and makes a showdown with the latter to the end while denying the strategic position of DPRK, whatever that is, it will also face the final miserable end. <laughs> what is DPRK? I don't know. It's something about their, I don't know, uh, persists in its hostile policy toward the DPRK. They, oh, the, the uh, Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Oh, that's who they are? Yeah, DPRK. DPRK. Oh. <laughs> Democratic uh, Republic... Re oh, is it? People's Republic? Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, that's what... And so, don't, don't mess with those guys! Yesterday, South Korea's Navy conducted another live fire exercise to continue its display of military capability after North... America, North America, North Korea alarmed the region with its latest nuclear test. So South Korea is really getting freaking frantic over this, and they're starting to get war. They're starting to uh, worry. To worry. So they're starting to, you know, with the United States, they're really starting to do the exercises. They get and freaking out. Yeah. Well, wouldn't you if they were right Well, yeah, they, you know, they, they can be toast. It comes around 24. I mean, you've got to remember there's history here between the, uh, the uh, you know, the war, yeah. the Korean wars. Uh, they're, not, they're not a happy bunch of people. Diplomats in New York went to work last night to draw up a new sanction resolution to go to a vote next Monday. Britain joined the push for tougher trade sanctions against Pyongyang <coughs> that include bringing Kim's re regime to its knees with a total embargo on oil imports. President hmm. Trump also revealed he was considering a military attack, uh, attack on North Koreans on Sunday, tweeting, they only understand one thing. The 
The only problem with this, see, this kind of craziness is what brought us into World War Two. Yeah. People don't realize that, but you know, history should prove this, and this is why Japan attacked us. All right? Is because that we went in, in, in uh, you know, they they started the war in World War Three, no, World War Two, rather, sorry. And it was because we did the same thing in the rest of the world. They cut off. Uh, they, they sanctioned them. They sanctioned uh, Japan, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, and, and they hooked up. They were already hooked up with Hitler, and uh, uh, and Italy. But but the, um, the, the what we did is we strangled them basically. Mm-hmm. So that's why they said screw you, and they came and they, and they attacked Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Okay, and 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 said war. They had a war against the United States. What they said later was they woke a sleeping giant, which was true, but the fact was is they they were forced, just like we're doing with him, yep. right, with this guy. We were starving him out, okay? So they got no other alternative than to throw a bomb at us, to, you know, to, or, or, uh, or back down. And, and this guy is too crazy to back down, you know? So, and Trump is too crazy to, 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 to let it happen. He'll, he'll, he'll blow him up. The test triggered a 6.3 magnum artificial quake, uh, 10 times larger than any of North Korea's previous attempts. But there is still speculation of whether it was a hydrogen bomb, an atomic detonation, or a boosted fizzle weapon. Okay. So anyway. Huh. Um, the launch is seen as a direct challenge to Trump, who has vowed to stop North Korea developing nuclear weapons that could threaten the United States. Hours after the test, the White House warned North Korea of total annihilation. The White House warned North Korea of total annihilation. Jesus Christ. Trump has refused to rule out a U.S. attack on North Korea after the rogue nation issued a severe warning to America. Yeah. What the fuck? What the hell are they going to do? They got one bomb. That's all they got. One bomb. We got thousands of bombs. We could wipe them out in like in like 20 seconds. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean the, the whole thing is is absurd. I mean Kim Jong Un is is just crazy, crazy, crazy. All right? What a, could uh, Kim Jong Un target the UK in a nuclear missile strike? Possible. U.S. Uh, president took to Twitter, writing, North Korea has conducted a major nuclear test. These words and actions continue to be very hostile and dangerous to the United States. North Korea is a rogue nation. Oh, he's such a jerk. Anything this guy says is like twit. He'll be reduced in history to a tweet. Anyway, that's enough of that. Um... This is interesting. I was very pleased to hear that. This, um, this came up yesterday, and it was um, Mueller is getting closer and closer. Uh, he finds alarming signs and sleazy people in collusion with the probe. So who are the sleazy people besides? This is really interesting. He, he's got a Manafort. lot of Manafort. Well, not just Manafort, but a lot of a lot of like uh, dirty guys. You know, dirty people. Special Galamucci. No, he doesn't mention Mooch, but he but he, he talks about these other people that are oh, connected okay. to the mob and all that. Special Counsel Robert Mueller investigation into possible collusion between Donald Trump presidential campaign and agents of Russian government have been remarkably discreet as it should be. But other sources have leaked three names Michael D. Cohen, Felix Sater, and Eric Schneiderman. 
that indicate that Mueller's team is probing very deeply. If there's a smoking gun to be found, Mueller is getting closer to it. Cohen is Trump's longtime lawyer and executive vice president of the Trump Organization. Sater is a childhood friend of Cohen, a former business associate of Trump, and a one-time government informant with ties to all manner of unsavory people, uh-huh. including Russian oligarchs. Isn't that good? Long-time friend, you know, childhood friend. Okay. Um, Trump. Um, Cohen yeah. is Trump's longtime lawyer. I just said that. Did that. Including Russian mm-hmm. oligarchs. At the opposite of the probability scale is New York State's Attorney General. Cohen and Sater are making big blips on Mueller's radar screen, as well as those of congressional committees looking into possible election collusion. Last week, the New York Times reported that Cohen had written an eight-page letter to the House Intelligence Committee vehemently denying allegations. We have this plan to go to the hottest site on Earth. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, New York State Intelligence Committee vehemently denying allegations that he was a central figure in contacts between the Trump campaign and agents of the government. So the, the allegations were made in a controversial dossier compiled by a former British intelligence agent. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The dossier identified Dmitry Peskov, Peskov, the press secretary for Russian Vladimir Putin, uh, as the man in charge of a Kremlin operation to damage Hillary Clinton's candidacy and promote Trump. Huh. Okay. Um, this is interesting. There's a there's a short video in too. Okay, uh, let's play that. Play. Um, you know, let's just yeah, it's not too long. Uh, but this will be interesting. That's the energy to develop popcorn, which a global app will allow us to pay our vendors, receive payments. Forget about it. I hate. I, you got. You got to deal with these damn commercials. Well, just go to the first frame there. I can't because they they won't let you. We never have to stop doing business. Right? Right? Available with business checking. It's yeah, almost we'll over, so let it go. According to a New York Times report on Friday, Stephen Miller, one of President Donald Trump's advisors, helped the president draft a letter to then FBI Director James Comey explaining his firing. However, White House counsel Don McGahn ultimately blocked it from being sent. The Times report that the advice McGahn then gave to Trump may prove to be pivotal evidence in the obstruction of justice case that FBI Special Counsel Robert Mueller is reportedly building against the president. Federal prosecutor turned to defense attorney Renato Mariotti said that if McGahn told Trump that firing Comey for the reasons outlined in his original letter were illegal and Trump fired Comey anyway, that would be a slam dunk evidence of a corrupt intent. Well, that that's interesting because um, it's that I don't know if you heard about that the uh, the draft letter. Yep. Okay, that that Trump wrote, mm-hmm. and then was then was the firing totally, letter. Totally, yeah, it was totally revised mm-hmm. later, <clears throat> but they subpoenaed that draft, and it. Uh, it shows uh, obstruction of justice. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. In January 2016, six months after Trump announced his candidacy, Cohen emailed Peskov asking for his help getting Russian government approvals for a proposed Trump Tower in Moscow. Oh. All right. Peskov never replied, 
But Trump had very, been fully briefed on the Moscow project, but by January 16 claimed he had no business dealings with Russia. All right? Sater is the one who encouraged Cohen to contact Peskov. Our boy can become president of the, uh, this is in quotes, he says, our boy can become president of the USA, and we can engineer it, Sater wrote in an email to Cohen. It will get all of Putin's team to buy in on this. I will manage this process. It can't get any better than that. Sater does have connections in Russia, but also has been linked to the Russian mafia, the U.S. mafia, uh, 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 money laundering, and al-Qaeda. He has oh, nice. served yeah, as an informant to the U.S. Justice Department. He is also has connections with Russian oligarchs who helped finance the Russian Soho Hotel. And former associates say he met frequently with Donald Trump and traveled with his children. Nice Snyderman has reported uh, to be partnering with Mueller's investigation into contacts that former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort had with ent- entities tied, tied to Putin. If Trump were to pardon Manafort of federal crimes, Manafort might still face state charges unless he cuts a deal. And the deeper Mueller digs, the more alarming the possibilities become. And even Americans who don't care for this president should be worried about the presidency. Wow. That's something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I told you, it was, it's amazing. Uh, uh, they're getting there. And you know what he's doing, too, which is, which is an interesting uh, thing, is because Trump can pardon people, mm-hmm. but only for federal crimes, not for state crimes. And what he, so what he's doing, what Mueller's doing, is he's getting him on state crimes and federal crimes at mm-hmm. the same time. So now this, this today, this one here was probably the biggest surprise that that happened this week. Key Trump aide uh, departure is said to rattle President's allies. This, did you want to read this? This is really good. This is his uh, it was his bodyguard for 20 mm-hmm. years, his closest confidant. All right, and uh, he he's resigned. President Donald Trump's allies are worried that the most damaging of the many recent departures from his White House may may be that of Keith Schiller, a little-known former bodyguard who's one of the president's closest confidants outside his family. Schiller is leaving the White House to return to private security business, according to three people familiar with his plans for a job that will pay more than his 165000 government salary. Far more, actually. He, his title, Director of Oval Office Operations, hardly begins to describe the, his importance to Trump, who is crushed by his personal departure, according to one person close to the president. Multiple people interviewed describe Schiller as an emotional, anchor for the president in a White House often marked by turmoil. Schiller has worked for Trump. President uh, Schiller has worked for Trump for nearly two decades. And within the West Wing, he serves as the president's protector, gatekeeper, and wingman, according to people close to Schiller and Trump. Most of the people requested anonymity, anonymity to candidly discuss relationships between the president and his aides. He's a confidant and a friend, said Stuart Jolly, a former national field director of the Trump's presidential campaign. Trump trusts Keith, and Keith trusts him. Trust is really a big deal at that level. More of Schiller has also acted as Trump's hatchet man. It was Schiller who told James Comey 
that the president had decided to fire him as an FBI director. Two weeks ago, after Trump was, was angered by preparations for a rally in Phoenix, Schiller delivered the message to another longtime aide, George Gikakos, that Trump no longer wanted him to organize such events, according to three people familiar with the matter. Kelly's changes. Schiller's new never planned to stay in the position for a long time because of its lower pay and longer hours, according to two people who know him. But his exit may have been accelerated by the appointment in July of retired Marine General John Kelly as Trump's chief of staff. Since taking the job, Kelly has sought to, t sought to tighten the access to the Oval Office, control information flowing to the president, and install a more formal regime within the White House. Schuller has told friends that working under Kelly is very different <clears throat> and that he doesn't like the job as much. He has, he has said he believes that Kelly uh, doesn't like Trump personally and is serving as chief of staff predominantly out of a sense of duty to the country according to three people familiar with his views. That has been deeply demoralizing for Schiller, who is accustomed to Trump being surrounded by devoted employees, two people said. Uh, Oval Office access. Schiller lost his privilege to walk into the Oval Office at any time when Kelly took over, and he now views his job as somewhat redundant. People close to him said, the president has secret service to protect him, valets to fetch what he needs, aides to dial his phone, and people to handle every facet of Oval Office operations. Two people close to Trump said they won't. They worry that Schiller's depart, departure will leave the president and the West Wing off balance, given the deep relationship the two men share. These people said that Schiller's exit could put Trump on a collision course with Kelly, who does not understand as well how Trump likes to operate. And Trump's allies may have um, more personal concerns. Schiller is a contact for Trump's friends. Yeah, he, he used to go to all of his friends and talk to them and everything. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, and want to reach the president. And campaign staffers knew the best way to get Trump's ear was to slip a note to Schiller, especially if they wanted to bypass Trump's first campaign manager, Lori Lewandowski, whom Schiller didn't always get along with. In a close relationship... On many, more, on many days, Schiller is the first and last aide Trump sees. During the campaign, Schiller heard nearly every conversation and phone call as he sat in cars uh, by, Trump's aide, uh, by Trump's side, traveling between rallies. Former campaign has said, Schiller served in the Navy and as a New York City police officer before becoming a part-time bodyguard for Trump in 1999. He was named head of security for the Trump Organization in 2004, and he knows most employees at the company and shares his opinions of all staffers uh, inside and outside the White House with the president. So he, he was kind of like his, uh, his link, man. You know? Discontent among Trump friends and allies outside the White House has grown as Kelly has sought to streamline and professionalize the Oval Office. The new chief of staff has imposed new protocols for getting FaceTime or uh, ideas in front of the president, cutting off a cadre of trusted regulars whose advice and conversation Trump relished. Doors in the building uh, that were once open are now literally closed, and including those leading from the West Wing lobby and anterooms and halls to the Oval Office, serving as a symbol of the more limited access to Trump. It was like a fraternity house the first six months, and now it's a military compound, 
It's a fort, one former aide said. Sugar doesn't entirely disagree with Kelly's changes, one ally said, and Trump has remarked that a more regimented schedule has provided him time to think, read, and reflect, a White House official said. And once Schiller leaves, the only comrade, uh, the only com- comparable loyalist remaining in the West Wing will be Trump's daughter, Ivanka Trump, son-in-law Jared Kushner, communications aide Hope Hicks, and digital aide Dan Scavino. But none currently fill the role of peer and friend that Schiller holds. So that's interesting that he's leaving because... Um, What's fascinating about that is I think Trump, uh, there's a lot of articles out there that Trump's losing his mind. He's starting to go crazy. I think a close guy like that probably couldn't take it. You know, you couldn't see him. You know, there's nothing he could do about it. He said, well, you know, I'm out of here. You know, because Kelly is 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 closing, clamping down on that office. He had all these informants. He had all these crazy people running in and out, Amoroso and Bannon and all these people. They were filling him with all kinds of bullshit, you know, and uh, all friends. Now uh, he's going to be now, like an island. Now he's like an island, and now he could be dangerous. But, you know, he was dangerous before, you know. But Rudy Giuliani and Newt Gingrich and all these Chris Christie's and all these creeps, you know, that he, that he was dealing with, you know, uh, you know Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know what the answer is. International Tribunal finds Monsanto guilty of crimes against humanity. No kidding. Isn't that something? I thought that was really interesting. Oh, wait, this is... Oh, let's see what else is there. 
that quick reference to hurricane category? Uh-huh. Cat 1, cat 2, cat 3, cat 4, cat 5. There's just cats flying in the wind. Now, this this was really interesting because uh, this is something that seems to make sense. Okay. A group of Democrat and Republican governors just released their plan for to for to re, uh, to fix Obamacare, right? And it, some of it made sense, uh, I thought. And and actually, they gave it to the uh, Congress, yeah. Ryan and all that. They're looking at it seriously, and they think they think it might work. Oh, good. So and they might present it. All right. That's what is that Kasich? That's Kasich, yeah. And uh, it says. Uh, Eight governors from across the U.S. on Thursday unveiled a plan to fix the Affordable Care Act. A letter from two Republican governors, John Kasich of Ohio and Brandon Sandoval of Nevada, five Democrats and one independent urged congressional leaders to do everything in their power to help the people currently on the law, individual insurance exchanges, and to stabilize the program going forward. I guess one of the big problems is these insurers are backing out of the deal. Uh-huh. And they, you know, and the Republicans want to, uh, start, or Trump rather, wants to stop the payments to Obamacare. Mm-hmm. All right, which would, you know, destroy the program. But these guys are saying no. But the letter called on Trump's administration. Um, let's see. As Congress considers reforms to strengthen our nation's health insurance system. We ask you to take immediate steps to make coverage more stable and affordable, the letter said. The current state of our individual market is unsustainable, and we can all agree this is a problem that needs to be fixed. The letter called on the Trump administration to continue to try to make the law known as Obamacare work by increasing outreach to get people to sign up for plans. The letter also addressed a few concrete policy steps the governor's say would be taken. And here's a quick rundown. I'll just read the headlines on this one. Okay. Uh, you want to do that? So six I've got to get my other glasses. Okay. Fund cost sharing reduction payments. Oh, I can't even see it. Okay. So this is the plan. Fund cost sharing reduction payments, CSR payments, help to offset the cost to insurers for offering poorer Americans plans with low out-of-pocket costs. These payments have been the subject of a lawsuit under the Obama administration. Trump has repeatedly threatened to cut them off. The letter urged them to be funded for two years. Create a fund to help states address rising premiums. The governor said they want Congress to create a $15 billion a year stability fund that would allow states to create programs to bring down premiums for people in the exchange markets. They also suggested offering the money by cutting other spending. Offsetting. Offsetting, excuse me. Exempt insurers from the federal health insurance tax for plans in underserved counties. The governor's plan would exempt insurers from the federal tax on plans provided to people in counties where there is only one insurer. Such a move would help to encourage insurers to enter rural counties that may be in danger of going without coverage in the exchange. Uh, allow people to underserve in underserved counties to buy into government benefits. This plan would let people in counties with one insurer 
on the exchange buy into the Federal Employees Benefit Program. In essence, they would create a so-called public option for underserved counties. Recreate uh, the Federal Reinsurance Program. That program helped to stem losses by insurers and helped spur their participation in the exchanges. And the program was phased out, but the plan would reinstate it. And the plan would also encourage open enrollment and institute other programs to allow states more flexibility in addressing the specific need of the state. The proposal comes after Republican attempts to repeal and replace Obamacare, which were roundly criticized by many governors of both parties that fell through at the end of July. Um, a bipartisan solution is scheduled to be discussed by the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee in September. One Congress return once Congress returns from its month long recess. And uh, well, they should be doing that now. Yeah, and the signatures of this one is John Kasich, Republican Ohio, John Hickenlooper, Democrat from Colorado. He's the he's the governor, Colorado. Brian Sandoval, Sandoval, Republican Nevada. Tom Wolf, Democrat Pennsylvania. Bill Walker, um, Independent in, Alaska. Uh, yeah. Terry McAuliffe, Democrat Virginia. John Bell Edwards, uh, Democrat Louisiana, and Steve Bullock, uh, Democrat from Montana. That, that's an impressive group. Interesting, not one New England state. No, is that interesting? Yeah. All middle America. Uh, well, uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, you got to remember, it was a Republican-sponsored concept there, but yeah. we, he brought in a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of Democrats, governors that want the same, so... It's a better it's a better situation than cutting everybody off. Yeah. You know, I mean this this will this will make allow people to, you know, at least be able to get it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love this. <laughs> With a straight face, Kellyanne Conway says. Trump's best quality is his humility. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> she burn in hell. Really. That's so funny. Even people that like Trump couldn't say that he has any, yeah, humility. any humility at all. If Kellyanne Conway's alternative facts are welcome anywhere other than Fox News, there would be a televangelist, Pat Roberts, in the 700 Club, which is exactly where she ended up this Tuesday. That yeah, was last week. At the outset of the interview, Robertson asked Conway which characteristic stands out in her mind most about President Trump. It's one of the most of the media never associated him with, and I would say it's humility, she replied. Oh, God. <laughs> with the gravity and responsibility of being president right, of the United States and commander-in-chief of our armed forces, I would say that with the gravity and responsibility has come a great deal of humility, Conway continued. She, adding that she must be enjoying the, the uh, freedoms in D.C. <laughs> Probably. A little too much. Uh, maybe, oh, you mean the, the, the free legalized weed. No, uh, did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> something. Uh, free, free marijuana. And uh, Conway... Freaking the juice. She looks like... Uh, sounds like it. Conway continued adding that Trump realizes people are realizing upon him to keep our country safe and prosperous. And there is a great deal of humility that attaches to that. Yeah. According to Conway, 
Trump ran for president because he saw a, a greater calling, and he accepted that calling. And there was no way to be in the White House every single day and make decisions that are so weighty and consequential for so many millions of people without feeling a great deal of humility. Man, oh man, give me a freaking break. Ah. There she is. This is her. Kelly, hey, you're a sweetheart for being with us. Thanks so much. I appreciate crazy it. man. Thank you Robert. for having me, sir. Hey, listen, you were very instrumental in the campaign. You were writing some of the speeches. You were giving some of the words to speak. What's the one thing you think about Donald Trump? You've gotten to know him pretty well. What characteristic stands out in your mind? It's one that most of the media never associate with him, and I would say it's humility. With the gravity and responsibility of being President of the United States and Commander-in-Chief, of our armed forces, sir, I would say with that gravity and responsibility has come a great deal of humility. The uh, president understands the awesomeness of this job. He understands what a dangerous world in which we live. Look at what North Korea did just um, a few hours ago in threatening one of our greatest allies, Japan. And uh, look at the devastation that many people are facing here in Texas and, God forbid, perhaps Louisiana. Uh, next, and you have a president who understands that there are people in need, people who are suffering, people who are relying upon him to keep our country safe and prosperous. And uh, there's a great deal of humility that attaches to that. I, I think that was lost on many, many Americans, particularly the naysayers and the critics who seem to be working overtime these days, is that the that Mr. Trump, President Trump, and his family have sacrificed mightily for him to vie for the presidency and indeed hold the presidency. Um, m many people are motivated by power, by greed, by money, by influence, yeah. by status, by their future bankability when it comes to uh, running for political office. But Donald Trump had all of that. He had the money, he had the status, he had the wealth, he had the bankability, he had the prestige. Uh, but he saw a greater calling and he accepted that calling and there's no way to really be behind me in that building every single day and make decisions that are so weighty and consequential for so many millions of people without feeling a great deal of humility. Uh, don't you want to just burp?
Last week, Trump, President Trump tried to use the cover of Hurricane Harvey to deflect, atten- deflect attention away from his abrupt pardon of notorious racist and human rights abuser Joseph, uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio. But instead of having the whole affair slip under the radar, Joe Arpaio is now looking at a potentially embarrassing legal fight, according to the Arizona Central. While District Judge Susan Bolton has approved the request to throw out Arpaio's sentencing hearing, uh, she's not letting him walk away so easily. Uh, the morning Bolton ordered that Arpaio file a memo and schedule a hearing for October 4th, where Arpaio's legal team must prepare must publicly argue why a man who was so racist he has convicted he was convicted of criminal contempt of court for refusing to end his discriminatory racial profiling policies deserves to have his conviction thrown out. The state of Arizona will have his own chance to argue why Ohio's conviction should not be vacated, allowing them to publicly and in great detail list the full extent of the heinous crimes and misdeeds of Sheriff Joe Ohio, which included running what he refers to as a concentration camp, torturing his inmates, forcing a woman to give birth in a shackles, and refusing to uh, investigate sex crimes against Latina children. He forced a woman to, have a, to give birth in shackles. Yeah. In an ultimate display of cruelty, a SWAT team member drove a dog trying to flee the home back into the inferno where it met with antagonizing with agonizing disputes. Then I don't know where this is coming from. This is like a... I don't know why they even bothered with that. Uh, that's the end of the article. Uh, Trump is about to find out the hard way that in the United States of America, the president is not king. His, he cannot simply clap his hand and subvert the legal and judicial system of our nation because he wills it, a warning that all those currently under questioning in the Trump-Russia investigation would do well to remember. And uh, that's, that was interesting. And that was from Occupied Democrats on their website. And let's see. Support tobacco-free troops. Um, let's see. Oh, you ready for this, folks? All right. <laughs> Televangelist Jim Baker uh, says Christians will start a civil war if Trump is impeached. Believe that? No, I, that's a terrible thing. No, it's a stupid thing. Televangelist Jim Baker is pre- predicting that Christians would begin a second civil war in the U.S. if Trump uh, were impeached. Jesus, good. Uh, you can't get through any page without these goddamn pop-ups and things. Blue. Well, anyway, I'm gonna, in his own words here, I'm gonna show you this Jim Baker idiot. Kim Clement, before he died, he prophesied they will be screaming impeachment, impeachment, but it will not happen. That's true. Kim Clement prophesied. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll predict if it happens, there will be a civil war in the United States of America. The Christians will finally come out of the shadows because we, we are going to be shut up permanently if we're not careful. 
and God says faith without works is dead. We have to do things. God has been dealing with me, and I don't know about you. It's time for preachers like you, you're doing it, to stand up and shout out. Hey, folks, if this is how you think, I don't think God's working through you. I mean, these idiots. It's really, really sad stuff. Really sad stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, so anyway. What else can we do for you tonight, folks? What do you think, Lila? Hmm. No, I just thought it was fun. So, well, since it's, um, this is kind of interesting. I, and you should read this. What do you think, Lila? Wages. What happened to the labor unions? Yeah, that's a good question. This is from Mercury News, but this is an interesting article. I think Lila, being the former union president uh, of her local, mm-hmm. uh, would be uh, should uh, should read this because I think it would be yeah, very interesting thing here because uh, there are you know. Where are the labor unions? What's happening? People for and against you unions. The Federal Reserve yeah. and most economists are struggling to understand why we don't have increased inflation as the unemployment rate drops to a record low percentage. Anything less than 5% is generally considered to be full employment. The theory is that when employees can't find enough people to meet their needs, they simply raise wages until job seekers are baiting down the doors. Rising wages prompt the need to increase prices and an upward inflation spiral is set into motion. So why not today? So why is it not happening today? Yep. Okay. It could could have something to do with the fact that workers no longer have the voice that union members once provided. Yep. And today they remain voice they remain voices through the ballot box and this is evidence. Oh boy. What happens with that? It just I don't know. They just these damn things they just you know they, they just break into your into your thing. They there's no reason. That freaking uh, virus or whatever they are and pop up ads and this is one of the reasons Labor unions are losing out because you can't read the articles because of their, you know. Jesus. Okay. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, okay. Yeah. I have problems with this page. There are many reasons for declining union member union membership, starting with changes in laws that make it more difficult to recruit members. That continues today and has worsened under the current administration in spite of its populist claims. Contributing to the problem, however, is the possibility that unions are losing a public relations battle. Yeah. For example, the New York Times reported that 800 teachers in New York City Very frustrating, oh, this, Leo. This, this is this is a t- 
terrible site, Mercury News. Um, that continues today and has worsened under the current weather. Concerning the problems, however, is the possibility that unions are losing a public relations battle. For example, the New York Times reported that 800 teachers in New York City have been put out to pasture at full pay, averaging 94000 per year. Teachers who typically have legal or disciplinary charges or the lowest possible ratings for effectiveness. <laughs> Jesus. So they're retiring these guys at $94,000 a year? That's pretty nice. Yeah. This condition goes back a ways to the days when the faculty or uh, facility where they sit all day doing nothing was referred to as the rubber room. I remember that. I remember that. In fact, a few years back, there was, um, it reflects a more recent variation worked out between then-Mayor Michael Bloomberg, United Federation of Teachers, giving school principals the right to make hiring decisions. The principals would rather use substitutes than choose from furloughed losers. The issue is in the news again because the city is being forced to reinstate 400 of the teachers whom the principals don't want. The problem for workers is that horrible public relations leading to the weakness at the ballot box. The public becomes incensed with unions when reading about these examples of incompetence coupled with self-serving intransigence. In the, pub in the public sector, union membership is leveled out at 40%. That's pre presence. That presents uh, other problems, like outsized, re outsized retirement benefits, hmm. uh, promises that elected officials make today, whose fiscal consequences don't won't be evident until far into the future. But the future is now, as it just so happens. So we have to come to terms with those underfunded promises uh, perpetrated by legislators who subject uh, subscribe to the big ID, IBG ideology, as in. I'll be gone. <laughs> okay. I, yeah, I'll be gone. That's the legislation's look. Again, it's more bad news for American workers needing higher minimum wages and more support in future election cycles. Workers deserve to have a voice on the job. There's no interest. Their no, their own interest is served when they identify with the core values of their employees, employers rather. Most successful and enlightened companies share financial results and often offer bonus pools that create a sense of, co of common effort. Rather than perpetrate an us-versus-them ideology, unions would be wise to play a more active role, identifying with company ownership objectives, embracing what is common interest to both workers and managers, and weeding out members who clearly stand in the way of what the bulk of the membership understands is in their collective interest. All business owners will agree that their business single mistake, biggest single mistake, was keeping an employee for too long who just wasn't getting with the program. It's time for unions to get that message and start making better business decisions. Don't you think so, Anna? Huh? Yep. I mean, put it on the backs of the unions, I guess. Oh, oh we'll leave on this one. Blackwater founder Eric Prince, who is hmm. Betsy DeVos's How brother, yes. was implicated in a murder. Oh, great. Yep. Another. And this is from the nation. Um, but we'll leave you with this one. And uh, I think we can bring it up here. 
of a Blackwater founder, Eric Prince, implicated in murder. A former Blackwater employee and an ex-U.S. Marine. who has worked as a security operative for the company, have made a series of explosive allegations and sworn statements filed on August 3rd in federal court in Virginia. The two men claim that the company's owner, Eric Prince... That one you can't get to stay still either. No. They don't want you to read it. It's a problem. Oh. said there wasn't a video on it. You could just... No, wait a minute. Uh, Virginia. The two men claim that the company's owner, Eric may have murdered or facilitated the murder of individuals who were cooperating with federal authorities investigating the company. The former employee also alleges that Prince views himself as a Christian crusader tasked with eliminating Muslims and the Islamic faith from the globe and that Prince's uh, companies encouraged and rewarded the destruction of Iraqi life. Oh, my God. Yeah. In their testimony, both men also alleged that Blackwater was smuggling weapons into Iraq. One of the men alleges that the prince uh, turned a profit by transporting illegal or unlawful weapons into the country on prince's private planes. They also charged that prince and other Blackwater executives destroyed incriminating videos, emails, and other documents and have intentionally deceived the U.S. Department, State Department and other federal agencies. The identities of the two individuals were sealed out of concern for their safety. These allegations and a series of other charges are contained in sworn affidavits given under penalty of perjury filed late at night on August 3rd. Well, not the, so long ago, in the Eastern no, District of Virginia. A part of a 70-page motion by lawyers for Iraqi civilians suing Blackwater for alleged war crimes and other misconduct. Susan Burke, a private attorney working in conjunction with the Center for Constitutional Rights, is suing Blackwater in five separate civil cases filed in the Washington, D.C. area. They were recently consolidated before Judge T.S. Ellis uh, III of the Eastern District of Virginia for pretrial motions. Burke filed the August 3rd motion in response to Blackwater's motion to dismiss the case, and Blackwater's asserts that Prince and the company are innocent of any wrongdoing and that they were professionally performing their duties on behalf of their employer, the U.S. Department, yeah. State Department. Right. So this is interesting. Former employee identified the court documents as John Doe II is a former member of Blackwater's management team, according to a source close to the case. John Doe II uh, alleged uh, in a sworn declaration that based on information provided to him by former colleagues, it appears that Mr. Prince and his employees murdered or had murdered one or more persons who had provided information or who were planning to provide information to federal authorities about ongoing criminal conduct. John Doe, too, says he worked at... Whoops, that zoomed away. John, um... Doe, too, says he worked at more than one occasion. Mr. Prince and his top managers gave orders to destroy emails and other documents. Many incriminating videotapes, documents, and emails have been shredded and destroyed. The nation cannot independently verify the identities of the two individuals their roles at Blackwater, or what motivated them to provide sworn testimony in these civil cases. Both individuals state that they have previously cooperated with federal prosecutors, 
conducting a criminal inquiry into Blackwater. It is a pending investigation, so we cannot comment on any matters in front of a grand jury or if a grand jury even exists. John Roth, the spokesman for the U.S. Attorney's Office in the District of Columbia, told the nation, it would be a crime if we did that. Asked specifically about whether there is a criminal investigation in the prince regarding the murder allegations and other charges, Roth said he would not be able to comment on that, on what we are, are, are not doing in regards to any possible investigation involved with uncharged individuals. And the nation repeatedly attempted to contact spokesperson for Prince or his companies or numeral email attempts, but they weren't answered. John Doe states, uh, second states in the declaration, that he has also provided the information contained in that statement. Grand jury proceedings convened in the United States Department of Justice. Federal prosecutor convened uh, a grand jury in the aftermath of the September 16, 2007, Nisso Square shooting in Baghdad, which left 17 Iraqis dead. And five uh, Blackwater employees were awaiting trial on several manslaughter charges and a sixth. Jeremy Ridgway has already pleaded guilty to manslaughter and attempting to commit manslaughter and is cooperating with prosecutors. It is not clear whether John Doe, too, testified in front of the Niger Square grand jury or in front of the separate grand jury. Oh, so, so this goes on. But uh, anyway, yeah. so... Um, but I'd suggest you go to this, and uh, I'll tell you where it is, actually. One second. Uh, thenation.com. <laughs> yeah, thenation. Just go to thenation.com. Blackwater Blackwater founder implicated for murder. So, that's about it for tonight. That's a be it, man. uh, That's scary, though. I hope it doesn't just fall apart. Yeah, me too. Me too. I hope so, too. So, we thank you for being with us tonight, and uh, let's try to hold on to good news, and certainly have the people who are in the paths of these hurricanes in our thoughts and prayers for their safety. Okay. Well, anyway, I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight, and uh, stay and uh, join us next week. Okay? So, good night, folks. So, thanks, everybody. Stay dry. We're going to leave you. Because we're getting a lot of rain. So good night, boobs. Uh, I'm gonna try to find my happy music here. Almost got it. Where was it? Probably blues. Uh, anyway, good night, folks. Love you. See you next week.